Hey Pinkers, I'm Mike Levy, and this is another episode of the Pink Bike Podcast. It's also another interview episode because I've been really enjoying these one-on-one chats. So that's exactly what we're going to do again today. I am talking to Chris Curry, who, if you haven't heard the name before, has been in the cycling industry for a long, long time. He's done some interesting things during those years, including designing his own patented suspension system that we're also going to talk about. And he's also been posting photos of his current project more recently, a machined aluminum full suspension frame that's made in two halves and then glued together. You can see photos of that bike on Pink Bike, so check it out if you haven't yet. And of course, we're going to include links to his website and all that stuff. So if you haven't listened to any Pink Bods before, you might know I've got a soft spot for anyone doing their thing their own way, making their own stuff. And that's exactly what Chris has been doing for a while now. So Chris, thanks for coming on to chat. Let's start off with talking about where are you and how are you? Um, well, thanks for having me on the pod, Mike. I'm uh, I'm based in Vancouver, Washington. Uh, I'm originally from the East Coast. I grew up near Pittsburgh and uh, started my first company out there on the East Coast. Uh, my first bike company, um, retail. That was e-commerce back before e-commerce was a thing. Was that... Uh, was that Speedgoat, Chris? Yeah, yeah. That was that was Speedgoat. Speedgoat bicycles in uh, 1997. 1997. And what was yeah. Speedgoat? Can you tell? Can you tell me and the people what what it was all about? So it was. Um, I was helping a friend at a bike shop. Um, a a really deranged ex Supercross racer who had started a bike shop. Shout out, Mark and. Uh, he he needed all kinds of help and i was helping his customers and they all kept saying you're really great we really like working with you like you're kind you take the time to listen to us and i i thought you know it would be really cool to have a have a bike shop one day like the parts that other people don't like i like like i don't mind dealing with the really difficult people you know i i sort yeah. of get them you know and so i kept that in the back of my head And the internet had uh, just sort of become a thing. And uh, Francis at MTBR had it up and running, right? And and one of the key components of MTBR was the classified section. So here I am. And I'd like to say I was a, I was a young, you know, Grom at a, at a bike shop. But in fact, I was an old English professor at a bike shop. I, I was in my 20s, tw- I was like 20 or something. I was pretty, pretty young, but I was an adjunct English professor uh, at the time, which if, if, if anybody knows a little bit about uh, academia, that's kind of the, the punching bag of academia. Like you just sort of hustle back and forth to whatever courses you could find to make ends meet. And I think I was pulling in like a, like a whopping 12 grand a year or something like that, you know, hustling my lit skills. And, uh, my background is all, what what was the end goal there? Were you, if you didn't go to the bike industry, what were you thinking long-term? Uh, the whole idea originally was was English. You know, my background is all English, and I was I was going to be a writer, and I was going to yeah. teach, and I was going to do that. And the bike thing became a uh, uh, an accident in that I had loved bicycles and motorcycles uh, growing up forever, and in helping the crazy friend, I, I really began to realize that people sell bicycles. There's a business here. 
And then when, uh, as I say, when MTBR suddenly started to hit its stride, I actually sold a an old Judy suspension fork on the internet to somebody because here I am, bike shop guy. I was so excited I could get cost on 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 forks. So I had a Judy fork and I sold it to somebody in in Singapore, and uh, and I thought the internet's cool, and uh, and from there I was like, you know what would be cool would be to to take a bike shop, but put it on the internet and, you know, offer things to people, but, but listen to them and everything. Because I, I detected there were a lot of people that were kind of intimidated going into bike shops. And there were a lot of people that had weird requests and, and there weren't now there's, there's a ton of great shops out there doing really, really cool things. But at the time there weren't a lot of shops that catered to uh, certainly outside of like Southern California and stuff like that. There weren't a lot of shops that catered to the total bike nerd that really mm-hmm. wanted that esoteric bike, something really different, wanted something custom built. Not a um, bike. Yeah. yeah. There there was more stuff established on the road for, for fit and things like that going way back to classic frame building. But on the mountain bike side, you know, if you, if you want, if you had questions comparing you know, the only two disc brakes at the time, you know, should I get a closed system hope or a, uh, or a haze? Um, you, you really didn't have a, a great sounding board for that um, other than the forums online. So, so I, I had been living out, out of Pennsylvania and um, I moved back to Pennsylvania with an eye toward finding a really low cost building in the middle of nowhere and starting an online bike shop. And that's exactly what I did. So I found what year was this, Chris? This was not this was uh, around 96 I did the move and everything and then we opened the doors in in 1997, September of of 1997 because you know if you're going to open a bike shop September is like the yeah. prime month, you know, that <laughs> you want to get wanna, those fall and winter yeah, customers. <laughs> yeah, you want to you want to turn those skiers away as quick yeah. as you can. No, we right. just do bikes there. I'm sorry. But um so uh launched that in in 1997 and uh it was super low rent. I mean we we were we were where the great the good riding was. We we were about an hour east of Pittsburgh. Uh there's a little mountain range there and it's a lot of fun, super rocky. But there you know, wasn't a lot of traffic, but that was just about right because I figured the majority of the volume would be online sales if things took off. I didn't need to be right. paying you know, $15,000 a month to be in a strip mall somewhere and, and everything. And so you don't need a storefront, do you? I mean, you, you, the, you, you do, you did certainly at the time to be set up with any distributors and to some degree you, you, you still do, you need some sort of physical presence, but it didn't have to be this super high rent situation. So from a business standpoint, I'm, I'm a very simple guy. I'm like, let's pay very little and try to make a lot and maybe that'll work, you know, and I had never yeah. run a business before or done anything. So I said, I think there's a market for bike parts online. Let's see what we can do. So we moved into what turned out to be this old one room schoolhouse in, in the middle of nowhere in Lachlan town, Pennsylvania. And it was, uh, it was terminally quaint, man. Like the, 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 the windows were the original, like lead, you know, wine glass pane. Lead pane. Glass. Yeah. yeah. And, and yeah. it was so close to the wind goes through the glass. Absolutely. And it, in, fa- in fact, the only wind that doesn't go through the glass nearly blows it out because there were two large bay windows made of that glass in, in the front of the building. 
and we were just immediately only about 15 feet off of Route 30, Interstate Route. And uh, when a truck would go by, you could see the yeah. bay windows breathe like lungs. You know, yeah. they, they were so yeah. porous and everything, and they were so fragile. Um, but I think we disagree about this. I, I swear we were only paying $500 a month rent for the for the building. My wife said 1000 but I that seems high to me. Can I think you it was, imagine yeah, $500 I, I, a month rent? Like people have phone bills bigger than that, yeah, Chris. Seriously, seriously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was ridiculous. And so, but even so, I'm thinking this will never work. And basically the deal we had was you go do your wacky bicycle thing. And when that doesn't work, go back to teaching. I come from a long line of teachers. That was, you'll probably have to teach high school. And I, uh, you know, driven largely by the the 10,000 mile stare on my dad's face at the end of a full day of teaching. I was like, <laughs> no, we, we got to fight hard. We got to at least go down swinging. And so um, it, it, it worked. Uh, people dug it. And, and we were somewhat um, maniacal about customer service. And, mm-hmm. and in fact, in the early days, I even, I had a customer that, that's, that's memorable. Uh, I, I'm still in touch with this person to this day. He, he purchased a Cane Creek water bottle and returned it uh, because the skink logo that Cane yeah. Creek had going on, just, it just didn't quite look the way he was thinking on the bike. And Sounds particular. And I was like, okay, I, that's, that's acceptable to me. Yeah, I didn't give you, and, and at the time, you know, we're used to Amazon these days where it's like every, yeah, everything's automated. Nobody gives a shit. You know, you just, yeah. you, you buy stuff, you change your mind. But at the time that really was a little bit uncommon. People who were going through the trouble of shipping things online weren't quite as amenable to people just returning stuff for, for no good reason, stuff like that. But I was, I was, I, I was like, you know what? Not, not just okay. Like I'll, I'll take it back and everything. I get you. All right. I, yeah. I understand. Sometimes it just didn't work out the way, the way you thought. And they went on to buy like a couple $5,000 bicycles from me. <laughs> and, uh, and that's how that works. Yeah. You never know who you're, who you're talking to, who you're dealing with. I've spent, I mean, more than a decade working at a shop and, and those were some of the best years of my life. And yep. some of those connections that I made, with customers and people come in and I mean, I was in my twenties. I don't know shit. I'm looking at people and I'm thinking there's something. And then I meet these people and I talk to them and they're definitely not that, you know, it's something entirely <laughs> different. And, and a lot of these people ended up being absolutely amazing. I think the customer base was quite different than your customer base. This was in uh, downtown uh, at the town I grew up in. It wasn't, yeah. wasn't a super high end shop. Um, but I got to say, like, I remember when I was working at that shop, I would dream about like some alternate reality where all I did was work on high end bikes and, yeah, and yeah. sell fancy stuff. And that's what you were doing in. That was the goal. And that, that's that's what we did. Yeah. Yeah. Ninety seven. Yeah. And, and that was uh, I think our first two brands that we brought in were independent fabrication and Lightspeed. And um, put put a couple bikes on the floor, built them up. Painter's Choice, the Indy Fab was was really cool. Just let them let them let them go. And we would just put bikes in the window, and we would change it periodically. And it got to the point where we obviously were were taking pictures with our <laughs> this predated uh, smartphones, of yeah. course. I'm I'm about I'm about to turn fifty three, but various parts of me 
Like my knees are about to turn 80. Some are older, some are younger. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, 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 uh, so this was, you know, we had our little phone and we would take our little pictures of everything. And I think one of the things that we did, it, it's the irony is that I see, I, I listen to a lot of business podcasts and things like that now. And, and I hear people say like, oh, we were very early to the internet. You know, we started our company in 2010. And I'm, and I'm like, you know, there wasn't Google when I started. Um, yeah. And so we would just take these little pictures. And a lot of what we were doing back then is is somewhat effective today where, you know, we would make content. You know, I wouldn't just write like, here's the spec for a set of race face turbines. You know, I would I would just riff on the world at large in this product description that was like ludicrous by most standards, you know, talking yeah. about how the world doesn't make sense, but a really well-machined uh, set of cranks does. And it just resonated with people. Like they, they seemed to dig it. <laughs> they seemed to dig it. And, and, and so they were like, Oh, you got to check these guys out. And it, uh, you know, we never ran ads. This, this, I didn't really even think about Google ads until a decade into the business or anything yeah. where it was like, Hey, you, we got to do this. You must've been one of the first, online bicycle retailers yeah i don't think the first i think i think the the there was there were some guys called aardvark that were out there and there were a couple people kind of uh i I think there were a couple people lurking around but we're we're pretty early yeah we're pretty early in fact you know i'm I'm friends with with some of the competitive guys and and everything and at one point i was i was talking to one of them somewhere and uh, and so i was like oh yeah we got the idea of the customer's bikes like we took that straight from you. <laughs> it's like, nice. oh, hey, hey, thanks, thanks, guys. I was never yeah. very, very well financed, but I meant well, and we we worked hard. Yeah, yeah. So I know you from a different place, though. Stands, stands, two yeah. plus. Yeah. What did yeah. you do? What did you do at Stands? And I mean, you were there for Chris more than ten years, I think. Yeah, I think it was. It probably just went over ten years. It was. It was about a decade. I'd have to check the numbers. Um, it's probably not good when you, you you do a podcast interview and you have to call up LinkedIn to see what you what you did. Um, it all blurs together. I got that point. on standby, but but you know, for all intents and purposes, I, I was at Stands for about a decade, and I yeah. I actually um, I, I I sold Speedgoat to to some pri- private investors, and the intent was for me to stay on. And, uh, you know, you make mistakes that went all kinds of sideways, yep. you know, long story short, um, wasn't in tune with where they were headed and everything. And I ended up leaving uh, that company. And then what brought me out to the West Coast was I accepted a, a, a marketing job at the time, uh, turned out to run all sales and marketing for a, a, an e-com out here uh, near Portland called Velotech. And they had a couple stores in Portland and some other stuff. So I ended up doing all the marketing and, and all the sales for them. And then in the meantime, um, sort of sort of part-time, uh, Stans had asked me for some help copywriting. So I was doing some copywriting work for the, for them uh, too. Yeah. So doing some catalog work and everything. And then as uh, after about five years or so, as, as time wore on, um, Mike, the president of Stans, uh, started to gently insinuate that they would really like somebody to do more of the marketing and everything. And this, this became a process. And, 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 and eventually um, I said, do you want me to do this? And it was like, yeah, yeah, that, that, that would be good. So, so I started handling all the marketing for stands and uh, they had not really had a dedicated marketing team pre- previously. Um, so we, we kind of built it 
built a team from the ground up. Um, it was just me for a while. And then we brought on some, uh, some additional people and, um, and, and ha- handled the, the logo transition to the new logo and some of the, the big changes that happened over the last 10 years. And yeah. So, uh, I was, uh, Myself, uh, Gunnar Berge, uh, Kenny Wen, and Drew Esherick were the entirety of the, the marketing team, really. Um, we did, uh, I, uh, for a while, I did everything from athlete, all the athlete sponsorship uh, negotiations and product supply and everything to making uh, box art. <laughs> you know, we, we would work with freelancers occasionally, but I mean, it was, there's, there's a lot of hats getting worn. Um, and then, uh, we started being able to divide up labor a little bit as we built out the department and, um, and, and yeah, that, that was an amazing learning experience. Great people, super, super good time. And to just get to see that side of things was, was really educational. Yeah. So the the Pinkers listening, they're tuning in because they, they really want to hear about this new bike of yours. But the (laughs) reason that I'm talking about some of this history is some perspective because you've done you've done a bunch of different things. Like there was speed goat. Then there was your time at stands doing the marketing stuff there, but also you designed a suspension system called three VO. So you've done a whole bunch of different things. We're going to talk about ministry cycles in just a few more minutes, but let's talk about three VO. Where did that come from? Why did this come up? Uh, how did you go from, how did you go from doing marketing at stands to designing your own suspension platform? Well, the the suspension actually predates stands and predates almost anything because back when I was running the the ecom, I was selling all the hot rods, Santa Cruz, Titus before it became Pivot, and I had a, a oh, deep that's love. a good one, Titus before it became Pivot. <laughs> yeah, and that's and, some you memories know. I forgot. Oh really? Okay, yeah. continue. Sorry, uh, yeah, I, yeah. I didn't want to interrupt you, but that one was great. Oh, I, 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 I go way back and have tremendous respect for for Chris Kocalis and what, yeah. he, what he did uh, his whole life. But the um, uh, that that particular uh, job, building all these custom built bikes and communicating with people and everything. We would very frequently get people asking us to compare suspension systems. That was uh, the number one thing that, that we would get. You know, I'm thinking about a Racer X or I'm thinking about, a, uh, you know, a, a Santa Cruz Superlight or, or what is it really like to ride a San Andreas, uh, a mountain cycle San Andreas. <laughs> um, so, you know, you would yeah. get these these wacky, these wacky things and people love love that stuff. And it was a crazy, really cool time, too. You know, this was the era of the Carpiels and the Brooklyn Machine Works and you would have like a trade show and you'd have like all the, the big brands upstairs, but then downstairs you'd had kind of like the low rent section and you had just the really wacky people just going for it. Yeah. And so there was really cool stuff. And I got really into suspension systems. And as I say, I'm about like 1500 years old. Um, 29ers had, had just happened. And Carl at Vicious Cycles, um, who doesn't get enough enough credit as an innovator in, in, the, in the world of cycling, uh, Carl Schlemowitz at Vicious Cycles, uh, he he was one of the really early people there messing with 29ers. And he built me a The Motivator, a Vicious Cycles The Motivator, rigid 29-inch wheel bike. And I loved it, but I, you, know, you immediately want to find a way to add suspension. Yeah. There's not a lot around. There weren't even 29-inch tires. You had IRC Mythos and like a couple other, you know, 
it was it was slim pickings, you know. And if you could get your hands on a yeah. set of Sun Rhino Light, you know, twenty nine inch rims that were wider than eighteen millimeters wide or whatever, then you were you were in charge. That was the way yeah. to go. So uh, I was I loved the twenty nine er, but I really wanted suspension for all the rock gardens uh, where we were riding, and I convinced Cocalis to build me a twenty nine inch wheeled Racer X. And, uh, and, and, and really fell in love with the process and suspension systems in general. And what got me into suspension was obsessing about making a better suspension for a 29 inch wheel bike. Cause if anybody's listening, who kind of nerds out about this stuff a little bit, the thing about a 29 er is that your bottom bracket sits lower because your wheels are, are higher. You know, your wheels envelop you. So your center of gravity is is effectively kind of lower. You know, you feel in the bike instead of on the bike. You know, on a 26-inch wheel bike, you often tended to feel a little more on the bike. And that stability and that kind of super rollover anything um, invincibility of the 29er was great. But when your bottom bracket starts off that far below your axles, there was just almost nowhere for suspension to go. You know, what we ran into with the first Racer X and we were messing with is they had like 80 millimeters of travel because, you know, before anybody really figured out how to get things going for 29ers, you just slammed into that, you know, whatever it was, 64 degree C2 angle or whatever back in the day. (laughs) And so, um, you know, you you had these these clearance issues and and I was obsessed about this. I'm like, there's got to be a way. And there are several ways to, to do it. But I, I came upon this way that um, would move the instant center, the point around which the suspension pivots. And I don't, I don't get all too in the weeds on it. But I, I came about this way that would really let you do a lot of tuning w- with a wide range of bottom bracket drops and the big wheel. Mm-hmm. And um, after all my like obsessing about it, literally one night at like two in the morning, I just like carved a little triangle out of a piece of paper and moved it around to see what I was kind of seeing in my head that I couldn't quite get down. And I'm like, Oh, the pivot point is almost like, instead of it being, uh, you know, way out in front of the bike as it is on a horse length bike or like right by the the crank set as it is on a single pivot bike or something, it ended up almost being, this is exaggerated, but it ended up almost being like in the middle of the chain. You know, it was like much further back than than you would normally get. And you could get this kind of really large range of tunability with everything. So I I thought, as a lot of people that have uh, semi-successful bicycle shops do, we we always want more, right? Like the Wright brothers made a plane and I'm like, let's make our own bikes, you know? So uh, that's like the next logical step. But I was not intelligent enough to know how one is supposed to go about this you know you're supposed to basically call like 1-800-CHINA and like get a batch of (laughs) of of frames and put your stickers on them I didn't know any of that right so my first move is like I need some frames yeah right so my first move is like design your own suspension system like that's probably the first thing you have to do right and and that was completely nonsensical but that that was my approach so I began this process, long process uh, over quite some time of figuring out how best to do this. Uh, tried working with various um, 
uh, various uh, engineers and stuff like that over the years. So this dates all the way back to about about the year 2000. I started really obsessing about this. And I didn't have the system figured out until about 2005. I kind of knew what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And, and then in 2007, I applied for a patent on it. And uh, that was its own wild adventure. I, I was going to say, you, you casually said, oh, I applied for a patent, but that's a big freaking deal. <laughs> yeah, dude. yeah. It's a, it's, a, it's, a wild, it's a wild ride, too. And, and, and I, I approached the patent thing with that kind of wide open, naive enthusiasm. So, like, I don't, I don't you know, it's, it's all, it involves legalese. So some people get all sketched out about it and stuff. But it was really wild for me. The process for me was really interesting because I, I, I worked with a lawyer and I, I we drew up the patent and, and it was it was genuinely novel. Like you, I, I can explain to somebody who doesn't know bicycles, you know, what's different about the yeah. suspension system just in looking at it. And so to me, it was it was in some ways uh, easier than really you know, cryptic uh, patents that are out there. But I went through the process and I submitted it. And the. uh uh, it, it came back. Uh, I think it took like a year or something like that. It, it came back and they said, well, we can't give you all the claims because we, we found some prior art on some things. And I'm like, oh, man, I thought I researched like crazy. Like, what do you got? OK, what, what do you what do you got? Like what? You know, at least I get to learn something here. You know, I failed, whatever. And it wasn't even close. It was, it was like it was like so different. The things that they, like one thing was a unified rear triangle bike. Yeah. You know, that, that was good, like good thing you're not doing that now. Uh, yeah, no, I did not go into did not go into down down the yurt route. But um, I was I was like, well, I no, none of these are even close, man. Like these, I can, and they're like, oh, well, you just need to clarify these few things. Um, and and I did, and all, all claims were granted. So in 2010, the the patent was granted in full. Um, and uh, and 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 that's. Uh, that's that's why I went, I went from there, and then. And, sorry, Chris. At the time, you were thinking about doing your. You were you patented this to use on your own bicycle brand. Am I yep, correct? Yep, yep. Okay. Even back then, the idea was we would do like a Speed Goat branded bike um, back yep. back when we were running the store, or we we started a company called Asylum uh, Cycles because we thought we would do something, uh, you know, have it be a related brand in case. That we could grow it or something like that. And we actually made some hardtail frames and everything else, real small batch, U.S. made, Chris Herding, uh, great welder, one of Yeti's original yeah. welders, welded us up some frames. And, uh, you know, we, and we really tried to kind of get something going. Um, but finding production was was the real challenge. You know, it's just super difficult to – I didn't have the connections at the time – uh, remains to be seen if I still have the the connections. It's it's not easy to make things. Um, yeah. I have tremendous respect for everybody who just like goes in the garage with a torch and just makes it happen. You know, I'm I'm not that guy. I'm more the like design the kinematics, plan some things out, figure out how to put the pieces together, and start the business. Um, I can I can design. I can draw parts enough. I know enough. You know, solid works to get myself in trouble. I can do some of the stuff, but that's not really my my jam. You know, I'm mm-hmm. I'm more about getting the company going. Yeah, yeah. Back then, were you trying to get this thing made in the states, or were you looking at overseas production? I, I was looking at both. The original plan was, well, maybe we can get it done in in the U.S. and and that's a that's a constant and ongoing challenge still. 
you know, is like, how can you get, how can you get pieces made? Ideally, you would be able to get everything done um, locally, you know, is, is kind of the dream. But yeah. I, I wasn't able to do that then. That's, that's still super challenging. Um, I ended up, I, I had a friend who had worked with some factories in Taiwan and everything. And he's like, well, we, I think I can get you prototypes. I, I think we can, I think we can make some prototypes. And so I made a, a small handful of the first version of the three VO suspension system based on the patent and the, um, the catalyst there, I had sold my e-commerce company and I came home and I was just kind of sitting there, you know, slow breathing, catching my breath after 15 years of running my own business, exhausted, blown up, super tired. And I had created the patent, but never really did anything with it because I just didn't have the time to make bikes. And, um, and at the time, uh, Yeti had come out with the original uh, switch. And um, while it, 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 well, it isn't the same, and, and uh, if anybody knows the, the original Yeti design, it had a kind of counter rotate, the, the link rotated in two different directions in, in the process of going through the travel and things like that. It, it, mine didn't do, didn't do that. But the orientation was the closest thing I'd seen to somebody like knocking on the door where like, that's, that's, that's similar to what I got going on. So mm-hmm. that was a real wake up call where I was like, oh shit, I, I got to do something with this because I, ha- I haven't and I really need to. So, so I, I started getting really serious about at least getting some prototypes made. Mm-hmm. And uh, with the help of a friend, did manage to get a couple prototypes made of the suspension system. And the damn thing worked like, you know, it was it was it's so stressful. If anybody out there has ever like, you know, done that where you create something like that. It is to me, it is the most stressful thing in the world where you've put all this time into it on a computer or somewhere virtually. And then you get a physical product and you build it up. And I just went all through all through this all again, you know, with the with the ministry. But you get a physical product, you assemble it. Uh, in my case, I went out, I wrote it, I decided that it was terrible and I was a failure and I hated it. This is before I even made it to the end of the driveway, right? So the life I'm like, of an artist, Chris. And, 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 <laughs> and, I, and I literally, like, I don't think I had, I had taken a nap in the middle of the day since I was like seven, but I was just like so emotionally invested. I just like rode back into the garage, leaned the bike up against uh, up against the fridge and like just went and like, fell asleep. Like I, yeah. I just like took a nap. I was just drained. And, and I thought, you know, it just doesn't work. It doesn't work. And then I, I approached it again, uh, a little more rationally. And it turns out it, it did kind of work. Like it needed some stuff, but, but the germ was there, something that could, could be really effective. Yeah. And um, I was already living out here in in, in uh, Vancouver at the time, and so I I took it into some, I took it into work uh, when I was working at Velotech and some some friends there, who are much lighter than I was, because the one problem with the bike was like the leverage ratio was was whack. It was like, it actually is probably normal bike. We're approaching that again. I it started at like three point eight or something, and and you know it was real extreme. Um, and so I was just too heavy for it. And so I was just blowing through travel and everything. But some of these, um, so some of these dudes, these 135 pound, uh, characters jumped on it and they were like, this bike pedals incredible. Like, what do you got going on here? Like this thing is, this thing is, is, is really good. 
And I realized like it was doing the things that I wanted it to do. It just needed, it just needed some work. So, you know, my expectations were I'll get it. It'll, it'll either be like, it's like pass fail, right? Like it'll either be perfect or it'll suck. And okay, I failed. It sucked. And it was like, no, it really doesn't work that way with making products. You know, it's a process. And so subsequent revisions uh, led me to a small little, little fleet um, of these test bikes. And then people started to want to check them out. And um, I sent them to some people I respect tremendously, you know, some, some, some bike industry folks were like, Hey man, when am I going to get one of those? And I was like, wow. Okay. I, yeah, I'll, I'll send you one. And so, um, sent them out to a couple different people. How nervous were you back then? What's it? Oh, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was crazy because I mean, at the same time, you're kind of thinking like, I'll do it. I guess, I guess I got to pay for shipping. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Are you you really, do you really want it? And, um, and I, you know, I sent them all over the place and, and, uh, uh, and, and then one of the places that I sent it, the ti- timing wise, it's just Jameis was looking to to reboot their their mountain bike program, and and uh, I, I I knew Sal at Jameis at that time. I was working for Stans, and I said, uh, "Hey, you want to check out this this suspension system?" And they rode it, and they they made kind of a a science of it, um, and uh, uh, they they really studied it, and um, they really really liked it. And so, you know, super, super low key. This isn't big business, you know, uh, mm-hmm. heavy, heavy negotiations and stuff. But we, we put something together where where they could they could use it um, non-exclusive. And I did an early version of it for them. And so that's the first 3VO product that's on the market now with the Jameis Portal and the Jameis Hardline. And it, it seems to have been super well received. People dig it. Um, but at the time, uh, I was designing for the current like small air cans and everything. So so everything, all the leverage ratios were kind of like old school. And the irony is that that original, oh my god, I'm a failure bike. I, I told you about that had a way more progressive leverage ratio, much more in tune with yeah. what what people want today. And so it's actually simpler to make that. The, the way my pivots are arranged, it's simpler to generate about a 30% progression to go from about a about a 3.0 leverage ratio to about a 2.1 leverage ratio than it is to only do like 15% progression or something like that. I mean, if you're going to invent something, Chris, you might as well make sure it works well in the future, right? <laughs> You were just looking at your crystal ball, dude. You yeah, knew. Uh, my you my knew. crystal ball's frequently been super duper busted too. And but yeah. but I, you know, I it's funny because when we I, I told other people this this story before when we started the e commerce place, mm. everybody said we were nuts. You know, and 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 they were like, I I literally I'm so old that I had uh, I had bankers meet with me and they said they came in. We're looking to get a line of credit for 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 the online store back in like '98 or something like that '99. And and they did this little good cop, bad cop thing. These two bankers came in. The one guy's like, well, I don't know, Roy. I just don't think I would ever feel comfortable giving my credit card to somebody on the internet. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, this is stupid. What am I doing? Like, this was never going to work. And so, you know, partially you, you get a little more confident in trusting yourself, but you also, uh, you get more comfortable with making the mistakes too. So you just, you yeah. just let it, let it happen. But, but yeah, it was, it was in that ballpark. And so, 
now with what I'm doing, you can actually make the suspension system uh, a little simpler than what I did for Jameis and and the suspension itself a little bit lighter. Um, And I'm right at the ministry is sitting right at about 29% progression uh, Mm -hmm. in terms of leverage ratio. So I'm playing with shocks and everything on it now. I'm test riding it now, but that's, that's, that's where we are. Chris, I'm going to make, I'm going to make the pinkers wait a bit longer for us to talk about this bicycle, because I just want to say for a guy who was going to be a teacher, you sure started a lot of companies in the cycling industry. (laughs) (laughs) Just company number three or? uh, No, I mean, technically this is two, um, asylum doesn't really count because it was like a hybrid spinoff or whatever and 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 it's funny because i talk to people who like start companies never felt like i was starting a company it was like i'm gonna have a bike shop but like i can't get fired from it because i own it you know (laughs) (laughs) i can take lunch whenever i want (laughs) i won't i'll eat at my desk i'll have no time (laughs) yeah yeah constantly and we'll go through hell together and my wife will have like a day off to birth the child and then we'll be right back at it but it was you know theoretically i could i could do whatever i want so yeah. uh yeah I never approached it, uh, approached it that way. In some ways I'm I'm seasoned enough where I'm being a little more methodical about it now where it's like w- what's what am I really trying to do here? What's the bigger picture, you know, besides right. just like the product isn't necessarily the finish line. Yeah. You know, what's Chris, the finish line? You you've worn many hats in this industry. <laughs> like I know lots of people in this industry like I'm trying to think of people that have done all the things that I, I and you've done such different things over that time too, and I think that that probably gives you a pretty interesting perspective. It does. It it makes me like uh, both super skilled and completely unemployable because like what yeah, you know exactly. what what do you do you know like I can yeah. do everything like I've I've created web pages like pretty much from scratch like I did a complete custom bike configurator in javascript i had to teach myself javascript to do it you know back in the day with a special exception for my gura hs33 hydraulic rim brakes because they were the only brake that came as a front and rear set everything else you could configure and you know so like done that had to learn a lot about uh you know all the different adobe suite stuff deal with a bunch of stuff with microsoft excel so you end up kind of doing all these things SolidWorks too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and SolidWorks is funny because one of the engineering firms in the early, early days, like 2000, 2005, something like that, I was trying to fork with these, these, uh, this agency in Pittsburgh. And what I didn't, what they didn't tell me was that they were going out of business. So I'm driving an hour to, to their offices, like a couple days a week. And I would show up and just the, like their SolidWorks guy just wouldn't be there. And I was like, was he, is he, is he coming in? They're like, no, I I don't, I don't know what's going on. Like, I'm like, man, I drove all the way down here. And so I would just sort of sit at his computer because they couldn't really tell me no, because I'd driven all the way down here. I would just kind of like piss around with stuff. And I kind of got into it. And I had a, I had a friend who was an engineer and knew enough. And he came in, gave me like a tutorial. And I'm like, oh, this is like, super powerful this is so cool you know what you can do like once you do like a little drawing and then you extrude something you're like you know and 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 brian park knows this from the additive stuff and everything too where the idea that like (laughs) you can just yeah you yeah i mean you can just like make your own shit is yeah it's it's a pretty neat time we're gonna we're gonna talk about that i feel like the the different manufacturing methods have really like 
democratized mm-hmm. manufacturing in a way, you know. But let's talk about your bike first, because that's going to lead us into that discussion. Uh, first off, what is the name of your company? What's the name of the bike? And let's just go over the main details of this thing. Travel, wheel size, and tension, and and the frame itself is obviously quite different. Yeah. Yep. It's, it's, uh, others, others have certainly done it. We're not trying to completely blaze a new path, but it's, uh, the first thing we created was 29 inch wheel bike, uh, dedicated 29 inch wheel bike, 150 millimeter rear travel, 160 millimeter front travel. Um, it is two hollowed CNC machine pieces of aluminum. Um, similar to what Acto 5 and, and, and Pole are doing, though we're, we're doing things a little bit differently. Um, and it is um, uh, currently uh, set up with a 30 millimeter bottom bracket drop. I have a effectively an enormous flip chip for the for the headset. So it is a 490 millimeter reach bike that can also be a 480 millimeter reach bike. You just kind of flip the cups, okay. um, and uh, and and that's the first prototype I decided to make with this new version of the three VO suspension. So it it is equipped with with the new version of the three VO suspension. It's uh, running a trunnion shock um, to generate that that hundred fifty millimeters of rear travel, and um, and yeah, that's that's the nuts and bolts of it. One hundred percent CNC machined. It's all seventy seventy five. And, um, uh, what, what is this thing called? Uh, so I called it the Psalm 150, keeping with, with my quasi religious theme. Um, I've, I've had some people who, yeah. who assume that I'm evangelizing to people when in fact, pro- probably the company name has, has more to do with the band than, uh, 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 the, than, than yeah. any religious advocation, though I, I, I will say maybe, that maybe you could get some tax breaks, Chris. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> org. <laughs> MinistryCycles.org. Yeah, exactly. My uh, my uh, yeah. my my response to that, though, I mean, in, in all seriousness, is it, if I my bicycles sort of are my religion at, at this point, and you know what what became what was I've always been super passionate about. Boy, when it comes to the pandemic and the amount of well being that has been brought into the world by bicycles, yeah, I'm all yeah. in. Like like yeah. like I am preaching the gospel of the bicycle. I I think that everybody should should ride a mountain bike, no matter what skill level or where you do it. Just ride a bike in the woods, and you'll be a better person. Yeah, trust me. Heck yes, heck yes. Uh, Chris, you know what I'm familiar with? Tubes and carbon fiber, like metal tubes and carbon fiber. Yeah, everybody else is pretty familiar with it too. Like we know how it works. Uh, we understand it, you know, and it's, sure. it's out there and it's not scary and it's not <laughs> new. <laughs> what are you doing? Why? Why are you doing this, Chris? You know, the, the this mo- way. Why are you doing it this way? The, the motivation is to be able to create a product and iterate on it and move as quickly as possible. And, and I, I had listened to your, your podcast with, with Leo from Paul and the guy's a genius, you know, love, love a lot of what he, what he has going on and the mentality, there is a mentality that's out there that, that is certainly not limited to just me, which is seeking that flexibility and seeking that uh, design agility. So the ability to, you see it most prominently with the stuff that's going on with additive manufacturing right now. So like the, the, the stuff that uh, divergent is doing with the zinger 
uh, C21 oh. car and stuff like that. We're like, well, we're just 3D printer car. For the next two hours. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, so, so. Amazing. You know, that is on a scale that uh, <laughs> they have a few more resources than I do, let's say. Yeah. But, but that um, ability to create, it does completely democratize the process where if you have an idea, um, you have the tools to make it a reality. And so this, the CNC machining, it, it is, uh, I, I will say it at the outset, it is not cost effective. <laughs> you know, if you want to find a, a really inexpensive way to make yourself a bicycle, this currently isn't it, but it's, it's possible. You know, it's, it's, it's possible to do, whereas if I were to say, take the same frame that I'm CNC machining out of, out of two halves of aluminum, and I were to uh, uh, 3D print the entire thing out of an aluminum alloy or something like that, it would be insanely expensive. It would probably be a $12,000, you know, frame or something like that. So right now, CNC is kind of that, that space in between, you know, you can have the design flexibility where you go from file to product relatively quickly with um, minimum supply chain in between. You know, there, there's there's yeah. one uh, group of parts that gets machined. You assemble them and you, you have the frame. I think I'm probably, I probably have about five or six little circlips and bearings and stuff, you know, uh, uh, under 10 little individual other parts that aren't just CNC machined out of 7075 T6 aluminum. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, my counterpoint to that is I, I understand what you're saying for sure. Like uh, carbon molds and stuff, like all this takes uh, to take make a carbon frame. It's like a, what is it, Chris? Like two years could be. Even yeah, I, I that's it. You know? If you really have the, have the, you know, pedal pressed to the floor, you could probably do it in like a year and a half or something like that. Yeah. But the, the capital then, expenditures and the tooling. Yeah. Yeah. And then if you want changes to that, like forget about it. That's yeah. V2 three years from now on the product cycle. Yes. So I, I understand why this machining makes sense from your perspective for sure. But on the other hand, when I think of starting a new company, I mean, you do want to have something different, but at the same time, you have this new company, you have a new bike, but you also have to convince people that this new manufacturing method is uh, not just cool and interesting, but safe, yes. viable, yes. and it's, that it's going to be around for a long time. Yes. Like those, are, those are some uphill battles because us mountain bikers, we love new shit. At the same time, you know what we like to complain about? New shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, I, I tend to be... I am very risk averse. Uh, so, you know, my approach to everything um, with the, the suspension system was to make sure there's a patent, make sure that it's, it's distinct. Uh, and my approach to this was uh, I, I'm obviously, I'm not making any money on any of this. Nothing is being sold at this point. It's all development and everything, but I have testing planned. I'm paying for insurance. Like I'm, I'm dotting I's and crossing T's. And yeah. the reality is, is that the, the process, while it's relatively new to the cycling industry of, of machining and bonding, I mean, if it's good enough for Volvo, you know, they have to pass a lot of safety regulations and, and stuff Volvo? like that. Yeah, exactly. In fact, it's funny you say, because I've been riding around on this plain raw, you know, machined aluminum frame in my local trails. I can get to from, from the house. 
And, you know, I've, I've ridden some crazy bikes uh, the, over the years and, you know, new a little bit of new stuff that isn't out yet and stuff like that with, with stands and Jameis and stuff. This is the bike. I mean, there's no markings on it at all. It's it's all aluminum. Not just people who ride, but people who don't ride are like, what yeah. the hell is that? You know, and the guy who stopped me, uh, not last night, but the night before, was like, he was just walking his dog with his wife. And he's like, is that a CNC machine bicycle frame? And, and I said, yeah. And it turns out he's a machinist for Boeing. Oh, shit. And he's like, and he's like is it hollowed out? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, that's, that's cool. <laughs> so, yeah. so, so there, yeah. you know, the, the process is, as you said, aerospace, they've been doing, they've been doing it for a long time. And, and depending on how you do it, I, I I'm, I can't take uh, full credit for this. I, I did all the kinematics, did the suspension system, everything. But one of the, the first things I did was I hired an engineer, um, uh, Jordan at a company called Serta um, Design out of the UK. Um, I tend to make everything as difficult as possible, but I loved Jordan's work so much that I was willing to deal with the time zone difference plus the exchange rate punishment of of hiring yeah. an engineer in in the UK at the time. But I can't say enough good things about about Serta. They specialize in the, in the bicycle uh, field, and he's he's we share a lot of aesthetic. Uh, similarities and mm-hmm. the the design and what we're trying to do so far. I mean, I, I really need to put this thing through the rigor, uh, th- through the ringer, and I have certain tests planned and everything for it. But the uh, the the bonding portion has has not disappointed. I, I mean, it is that is mm-hmm. really strong stuff. You're not. You're not holding these things together with bottles of the pages like this is this is some very very special glue i imagine can we i'm not sure how much you could talk about at this point actually but i i would like to know that if i looked at a frame before it was glued together and you know took it apart what what would it look like what would it see where what would i see where would the glue go i assume there's channels for the glue and overlaps and things like this can it's, you talk a bit about that sure in some ways it's super complicated and in some ways it's it's super simple and and if we really want to be be cruel to the listeners uh we're on a video feed pe- pe- people might not realize like mike can yeah. see me and i can see mike i i have one here i can hold i can hold up the frame crack it in half and show him the creamy center Let's do uh, that. Yeah. Okay. All right. That, <laughs> okay. That's me. That's mean of you, but okay. Yeah, yeah. I can, I can make it clank around if, if you well, want. I'll for... describe what we're seeing so... and they can close their eyes and just pretend. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, I mean, it's pretty much what you'd expect if you were to just bisect a, a, a traditional frame and I, I don't know what's in, in uh, get bad glare coming in here, but um, so the one thing that's hard to see that, that I can show you is that um, there is a, a perimeter lap joint that, that runs around the entire thing okay so we we got we have, there's some proprietary stuff going on that, that makes it a little bit distinct but essentially you do have one gigantic lap joint so uh in terms of shear strength and everything when you have a surface area like that um that that's pretty damn strong 
you know, yeah. the, the, when, you, the, when you say lap joint, just to explain it to people you're talking about, it, it's actually an overlapping joint. Yes. So there's a ton of contact. Ton of contact. Um, yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot of engineering, I imagine, that goes into that as well, too. To, to be able to hit that level of precision. I mean, frankly, there there were um, it, it was it was difficult to find anybody willing to take it on because it's fairly thin wall. And to be able to get that lap joint in there is 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 not easy. Um, but it is, um, that would appear to be super duper strong. And then of course the, the way full suspension bikes are designed, uh, this would be much more challenging, frankly, in like a hardtail or something where you have, uh, you know, the, the, the challenges of kind of more, more dimensionality with connecting like chain stays and seat stays to a, to a tube running in a different, yeah. In a different plane. Um, with being able to build it like this, it's a relatively compact triangle with a seat tube and, uh, and, and then the individual pieces that, that get bonded into it. And then the suspension pivots itself are also points that, that hold everything together. Every little point holds things together. We have some mechanical fasteners going on too. But are there, so there are bolts holding the two halves together too? Yeah, right now I, I have, I just, I just have a single, a single bolt uh, plus all the pins for the suspension and everything that goes through yeah. there. So there's, there's uh, one relatively large uh, fastener holding everything together. But I, I, I got to say of, uh, I, I'm approaching a hundred miles on it uh, at this point. And um, the, the, the front triangle feels super duper solid. And, and, you know, my, my, my testing methodology, um, I, 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 the one thing I, I feel like I'm uniquely uh, gifted to simulate real world experience because like I went out before it was really ready. So like the pivots weren't yeah. quite right and stuff. And it's like, that's, I don't know. I find that really <laughs> invaluable data, you know? And so like, I shouldn't have, and I went out yeah. and I rode it and I beat the, beat the hell out of it. And I took pictures of this, uh, of my trials and tribulations. And I put all this stuff on, on Instagram and TikTok and stuff too, where the, um, I managed to unbond the cross brace of the swing arm. But yeah, I mean, I you that. could, you could take my lower link when I was riding it. Um, I'll do this to the poor listeners too. Here's, here's the lower link. But the amount of play in the lower link when I was first riding it, like you could literally move it back and forth like this because I'd, I'd forgotten to include one of the pieces, a little spacer, uh, yeah. with the purchase order, with the, with the factory, with the PO. So I was minus this little spacer and I was like, I gotta, I gotta at least try it. You know, it seems yeah. like it's going to be stable enough. And, uh, and I did manage to, 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 to get the swing arm to come unbonded. But for anybody who's interested, uh, I wondered, you know, what that would be, what, you know, what, what that would be like. I'm my own crash test dummy right now. Right. So I'm out here, I'm out here doing this stuff. And it turns out that, um, it didn't, it didn't really creak. It, it didn't really do anything. You just, I started to see a little bit of a gap and I'm like, okay, I really sh- shouldn't have done that. I put everything back together. Um, I took, I, I, I tore the swing arm back apart because I wanted to see what happens when you tear it apart and rebond it back together again. And I, and I've been riding it. That's, that's been, a, that was about 60 miles ago. Um, so now that I have all the proper pieces in, in place for the suspension and everything um, it's, it's been rock solid, but, but I just rebonded everything together and it was so impossible to pull that thing apart. Mm-hmm. Even, even though it had started to come unbonded I was really surprised by that. I mean, the, the, the aerospace epoxies and everything are no bullshit. That is some 
hardcore stuff. Um, Chris, you've, you've been in the cycling industry long enough to know that this sort of development, this is supposed to be happening in private, mm-hmm. you know, and then, and then boom, this company releases the shiny new bike. Yeah. Yeah. Are you, are you concerned at all that you're putting potential customers off by showing any of this? Like it doesn't, in my mind, it doesn't, I find it interesting in the journey, you know, taking people along with you, all those things. But I got to wonder, I think some people would be like, well, this thing's coming apart. It's not for me. Yeah. Oh, sure. And you know, the, the my secret weapon, Mike, is I could probably only make 20 of these. <laughs> so, so, you know, the, the secret sauce is it can't scale anyway. So, yeah, uh, you know, there, there's, uh, uh, uh But but in all seriousness, anybody who isn't showing you this, this is happening no matter what. No matter what product you're developing, you're going through this. If you're not leveling with people and showing them the process, it doesn't mean it's not happening. It just means you're not leveling with the people and you're not showing them the process. And frankly, for me, that's, that's just a part of it. Like if you're interested in it, then I would rather you be interested in you know, warts and all, like, here's the development process. Here's what's going on. Because, because, you know, f- frankly, it may not work. <laughs> you know, I don't have, uh, I, I, I'm financing all this my, myself. I'm, I'm putting myself out there doing all this. I don't owe anybody anything um, to, to make this happen. So the, the upside there is I don't have anybody saying, you must make this work, you know, bullshit, yeah lie, cheat, steal, do what you need to do to make this thing work. Like if it doesn't work, I wouldn't want anybody on it anyway. So, you know, people seem to be rooting for it because the the response online has been, has been pretty cool. People like the look, they they want to see it happen. But to my thinking, there's no reason not to, to just do it out loud. What, what a freeing way to think about it. I feel like you're just to hear you say like, I don't know. This thing might not work. Like, I trust me. I'm sure you want it to work. Oh yeah. <laughs> but at the same yeah. time, you, it doesn't sound like like you know like your life doesn't depend on it. You know, like it's well, you. Yeah, yeah, it's just an interesting perspective, Chris. Well, I mean, a sizable chunk of my life depends on it. But if not yeah. this, it will be some other variation that does work. You, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I I won't yeah. release it until it's something good and something that 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 works well. And the reality is, is you can have a product on the market. And this kind of goes back to what we were talking about with why the CNC machining and why this construction method. A big reason is precision and repeatability. Like at its heart, compared to a lot of bikes that go through heat treat, you know, you you test this, but you don't test that. You do this, but you don't test that. There's all these moving parts. This, This thing's like Lego. You know, it's like an indestructible Lego. So the repeatability is really solid. Like if one works, it's it's really really solid you know it's th- yeah. there's not a lot of room for deviation in the design or anything if you do a different size all the same principles apply like it's a it's a very solid you know foundation on which to build so um in in that regard if if this w- uh, everything that i'm going through right now and and i make it sound like i'm going through a lot like the most surprising thing for me is that it's worked as well as it has. You know, I like I I expected like I full well expected to be you know hoping AIM I was low. still conscious. You AIM know, low would be happy with the results. <laughs> yeah, I mean, ride number one. Yeah, I was I, I I was 
I was like, you know, okay, I'm just ready. Cell phone at, at the ready to be like, you know, somebody come, somebody come rescue, you know, yeah, uh, I'm in pieces, whatever. And no, it just, it just, it just worked. And, and the weird thing about it is, you know, I've, I've been riding around on a Frankenstein, uh, Jameis 130 millimeter travel bike with, uh, uh, my own rocker that I made. It was like an early version of getting ready for this thing. This, this like a super progressive rocker and, you know, it's still pretty light bike and everything, but I I'd been riding around on that. Um, but it had, it, it didn't have as, as aggressive geometry as this, this thing's a 65 degree head tube angle, you know, not crazy aggressive, aggressive, but 65 for 150 millimeter travel bike. And it's got a 70, a 7.7 degree seat tube angle. So, so pretty abrupt seat tube angle. and the first thing I did was go out and just, uh, I, because I didn't have the spacers in the suspension and everything, I didn't want to take it, take it on anything, nar- the least bit gnarly or anything. I just rode around the neighborhood, but it, it would just climb anything, you know? So mm-hmm. I was like looking for these crazy jogging paths. We have these jogging paths that they put in, you know, in the neighborhood just to like say there's a jogging path, but they're much more perilous than just riding in the trails. You know what I mean? Like straight up and straight down moss covered, you know? So yeah. it's just clawing right up stuff. And the stress that that's, I, I, it occurred to me about halfway up one that, I mean, I'm like torquing the shit out of this thing. And I'm thinking, this is actually probably more stress than, you know, just kind of like chattering through something. Like I'm actually stressing it out pretty decent, just, just doing this. And it occurred to me, you know, when I was fully under duress and unable to change my mind, I'm committed to making it to the top of something. And it just, it just sort of, it came and went, you know, that sensation of, Oh my God, is it going to hold up? What's it going to do? What's it going to like, it just worked. And there's not that high variability of like, okay, well there's this, we didn't consider or that we didn't consider like it essentially snaps together. (laughs) It's bonded with the shit that holds airplanes together. Um, There's not a lot of room for things to go completely sideways. Like it's, it's pretty solid. And it, more importantly, because I would I would have given up and gone a different direction, you know, months ago if it didn't. It it feels solid, you know. It feels yeah. that way to to ride because I I wasn't sure, you know, I didn't know what to expect riding it and everything. It might feel squirrely or might feel weird. Like it's re- really important to me that it feels well put together, and that's been one of the most rewarding things. Is it does feel well put together. Yeah. Chris, if I had this much time invested in in this thing, like if I was sketching this thing out, you know, all those years ago and I've done all this stuff and I figured out this, figured out that. And then one day this cardboard box shows up and I open it up, I might cry tears of joy, you know, especially getting this thing together and riding it around like. I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about how that must have felt. It's a wild experience. It's really wild. And I've been through it twice. As as I said before, the first time I had the old, you know, the welded first version of the suspension system, I rode it and it was just overwhelming. Like it was, you know, I, I, it was, it was emotionally a lot to, to, to have this thing that you've yeah. seen on the computer and you have all this time invested in, but it, it, it actually worked. Like you could pedal it and it did what you thought it was going to do. And partially, it's just that I'm, you know, I'm 200 years old now and I'm tired and I've been there and I've done that and everything. And partially it's like, I've grown a little more confident in stuff, but it's like, I know what the anti-squad is. I know what the anti-rise is. I know what it's supposed to do when I ride it. And in some ways it's like, look further down the trail. You know, I was like, yeah. I was different now. It was it, the interesting thing was to go from the first time 
you know, not, you know, knees quaking, riding your suspension design when it's like you paid for this patent and you did all this stuff and it might be completely useless versus this time, which in many ways is, is way more crazy, you know, than, than even what I yeah. did the first time. Oh, yeah. But, but to ride it, I was just like, yeah, all right, it works. You know, and it was like, it was a little bit weird because I didn't go through that same, even though, you know, I'm out there bonding this thing myself and, and doing all, all this yeah. stuff. Like, um, it, it, it all, you know, it's, it's all crazy and you run into unexpected things and there's this and there's that, but really like we had a plan, we executed it. Uh, Jordan at Serta and I went through the plan, executed it. Everything went together. We got little tolerance issues and stuff like that. Got to, got to talk to the factory about bores and stuff, a little bit of play here, a little bit of play there. But like for the most part, I, I, it, it met expectations. I got on it. I wrote it. It was also just like super cool and fun to ride, you know, cause it's the geometry is kind of aggressive and stuff. So it's just fun, even in the neighborhood to just like taking it off that first curve. We're like, man, there's not even any proper spacers in the pivots. You really shouldn't ride off that. Oh, you did it. Fuck, you, did it. you rode off the curb. The head you know. tube's still attached. Yeah. Yes. And then you're like, and then you're like, well, you know, what'd be really stupid is just go back at the curb, you know, and just, yeah. and just don't even pull up. And it was like, Oh, you did that too. Now you did that. You know? Yeah. So that's- Chris, I, I saw a photo on your Instagram of this frame with a bunch of wood clamps holding it together. Did yeah. you, you, you just said too, that you glued this yourself. Oh yeah. 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 I have a, you know, factory do, doing the machining. I am, I, I have no machine shop. That would, that would be amazing. You don't have a Haas machine. In your I don't know. I don't have my garage is only so big, <laughs> but I'm trying to make my garage look cooler than it is, but it's really just yeah, a garage. Yeah. Like if the camera swings a little too far one way, it's just full on lawnmower and kids shoes and all that and all that shit. So I'm, but I'm trying to look pro, but the, uh, yeah, no bonded. I mean, the whole point was it had to be able to be something that I could, I, I could do, do myself, um, that I was confident in and it's, it's foolproof and it's, it, it's super simple to do. And, um, the, the, the adhesives that are out there, it really is incredible. I mean, I, I, I come from, you know, I was a, a generation with the, the, the idiot guy hanging from the hard hat with the super glue yeah. and stuff. And you're like, that bullshit never actually works and stuff. So I kind of, one of the first tests I did was like, I don't think this is even going to work. I actually have that thing here too. I think. Is that... I think it's still... Oh no, I don't have it. I thought I had it here. It's out in the garage. But I, I took a little, a little, uh, two pieces of aluminum, and I bonded them together. You know, I was testing different epoxies, and there's several on the market that will kind of get the job done. I bonded them together, and I'm like, um, and I, and and I, I. I went back and I was like, oh, okay, let's, let's see what you got. And it, it, even with like leverage against it and everything, it, it's ridiculous how strong this stuff is. And I talked to some people, there's, there's some cool dudes up in Bellingham who've done some stuff with bonding and everything at Lost, Lost Bicycle. And, and, uh, and they were like, man, you won't have to worry about the, about the glue. You won't have to worry about the bonding. Like, like worry about your wall thickness and everything else because the bonding, yeah. that shit's going nowhere. You know, that stuff is super duper strong. And uh, so what you run into, though, I mean, the stuff we're looking for now is like, well, you know, when you do clamshell it together, um, how do you avoid having too much overlap where, you know, then when you go to put put a, put a pin through or something, you get a little ooze and it's not aligning and everything. But really, I, I have to say, for the most part, it's the assembly is 
has gone together relatively smooth. I, I figured I'd be, you know, chasing the bottom bracket threads and stuff, and everything is mm-hmm. is really dialed uh, with, with the first sample. Like in some ways, I'm I would feel better if I broke it at this point because it's like something yeah. has to kind of happen, and I'm glad that the swing arm thing happened because I got to test it in really extreme circumstances with the spacers wrong and everything. But it it definitely has that kind of solid feel, and I think. The the key is, does the stuff that absolutely need to work work? If that's if that meets criteria, that then you're you're at least in the ballpark, you know, and you're on yeah. to the next level. And and I, I'm my own harshest critic. And if if I if I thought that there was a, uh, I would have pulled the plug on this and and really redoubled efforts to do this a more conventional way. If um, because that's the alternative. If if the CNC machining and the kind of small batch, like that stuff doesn't work, then you just look like, okay, how can I, how can I do this in a more traditional aluminum, you know, find a factory, look at putting a team together. Like how, how can we do this? Like, like the normal yeah. way or the way you do to make a bike print. But, um, there's, there's enough encouragement here where you, you just want to take the next step. Yeah. Since you don't have a, a Haas machine in your garage, who's making these frames for you? Well, I I contacted a bunch of people, and I ended up – they're actually being cut in China right now. Uh, okay. was the only place I, I could find that – I had people I had people who are doing machine work for other uh, companies and stuff. And they're like, ah, oh, the wall thickness is too thin, and we can't do this, and we can't do that. And, and, and I have a friend uh, – a friend of a friend put me in touch with somebody. He's like, yeah, we could do that. And I'm like, really? And it's like, yeah, yeah, we, we, we can do that. And it's, it's actually kind of super interesting and, and they've been super great, great to work with. And the way that they're doing it is they're actually, um, don't want to get too, too in the weeds, but they, to, to avoid vibration in the shell, they actually kind of machine and then they'll, uh, fill it with like a putty when they do the rest of the machining. So it effectively makes it like a fake solid block that is much more stable. Yeah. And um, machinists who've seen it are, you know, super impressed with everything so far because I wanted, it's one thing to find some way to make just one of these, but I, I wanted to at least like, okay, if I do see a patch of daylight, I need to be able to produce at least like, you know, 25 of these things or something like that. You know, there, there needs yeah. to be some, some way to potentially do it. So you know, the dream is really to find um, new ways of manufacturing things as, as additive gets together and some of these other things happen. Whatever it takes, you know, I'd, I'd love to reshore it 100 percent. I'd love to be making everything in Vancouver uh, here if I if I could. Um, but I, the goal is really to, to find a way to get the finished product as close to the file that begat it as possible, where it's like, here's the file you, you, you create it based on the file and you have very limited moving parts in between. The last part of the equation is really to figure out, okay, how do you, how do you minimize all those other things? Because a lot of it is transportation. A lot of it, when it comes to sustainability, like, yeah, mm-hmm. cutting something out of a giant block of billet sucks. You know, it's not the best way to, 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 to go from a materials usage standpoint. But the bigger picture here, I don't want a situation where I have to make much more than I, in, than I, than I can sell. You know, an eyes bigger than stomach thing, where in order to justify, to amortize 
the quantities and the tooling and everything else. I got to take 200,000 pieces and, you know, I sell, I sell half of that and then tastes change and trends change. And I got to convince people that my stuff's still cool, even though it's not, you know, because I still have product I'm still trying to sell through and everything else. And then there's this glut and then, you know, this changes. Nobody has rear derailers because of supply chain craziness. So my frames finally show up, but then I don't have derailers and then all this. And it's like, it's almost like you've been in the cycling industry. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I've I've seen some things. And so, you know, it's, uh, the goal really is to create a business model that is in this, I don't, I don't want to say just in time, but when I was in e-commerce, one of the things that we did was I, I I didn't have the kind of funding to, to be buying millions of dollars worth of inventory and sitting on it. And back in the day, if you could get a frame from, from Santa Cruz, you had to go, you had had to buy that frame when you could there, you know, it was slim, there was demand, slim pickings and and same with everybody. You would buy a couple to stock. And that way, if somebody wanted to buy a bike from you and they could call you and get a bike and you had it, you had their size, you had their frame size in stock and for, to build them a custom built bike. That was that was amazing. So I had to invest in these frames, and we would have. It's funny the locals in our little town had no idea the amount of capital that was sitting in a little storage area out in the back of the building. You know what I mean? Yeah. But but I, it was yeah. ludicrous. And so we had all these like really high end frames, and uh, to be able to um, to be able to, to to fund having to buy all those frames, a lot of the parts we brought in just in time. So I had feeds coming in from my distributors. I knew what derailers were in stock at all the big distributors in the industry. Electronically, we, we, we put a lot of time into developing that and everything. And so when somebody ordered something from me, I would often order it from the distributor in a day, ship it out. And it was like still super fast, but it was just in time. Well, that's yeah. much harder on the manufacturing side, but that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to streamline that whole process where you design you have a you have a CAD file. You have a file to create the product. You push a button. You come as close to creating the product as you can, and I think that's where things are headed. So you don't have that overabundance. You know, you don't have that unused uh, uh, inventory. You don't have that unused material. You don't have all that transportation. I think mm-hmm. we're at the very beginning of that, and it's going to be a long a long way to go. What I'm really trying to do is build a business model that's there for when the technology catches up with it. Cause there will be yeah. a day when you can walk in the garage and push a button and Brian Park will be jumping up and down like, like crazy <laughs> over there, you know, and you can push a button and you can have a product, you know, and, 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 uh, and a, a, a truly usable product, you know, like, like, like yeah. a rideable product. And, um, I'm just CNC is, is, and, and this whole project is designed to get me a little bit down that road so that I'm waiting there as the technology catches up and, and, and if I, I find somebody who, who, who gets it, you know, and it's kind of, kind of into that idea and there's, there's, there's somebody, you know, with an additive uh, manufacturing background or something like that. That's like, yeah, okay, I got it. You know, let's, let's, cause ultimately this thing skews toward what the Athertons are doing with their Renishaw machine and with, mm-hmm. with the, the customization. Um, I got to work, was really fortunate to get to work with the Athertons a little bit with, uh, uh, when I was at Stan's and, you know, no, 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 uh, Dan Brown and, and the crew and, uh, super cool, you know, super cool what they're doing because that ability to combine like crazy technology with this kind of mom and pop 
vibe. That's what it's all about, you know, to have control over what you're making, but have it be really high tech. That that's, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Speaking of the future, if if you don't want to sell 20,000 ministry, ministry bikes, what, what do you want to sell? Well, what, what, if, if five years from now, what, what does ministry cycles look like to make you happy? Wow. Well, what I would love is to, to see the technology catch up with it. You know, we mentioned what's going on in, in additive and some of that other stuff. I, I, would, I would like to see in, in, you know, relatively short time frame, some technology catch up with it and to be in a position to take advantage of that where you can be offering custom built bikes that that aren't tube and lug construction they're custom custom built shape formed bikes um yeah. that would that would be a, a tremendous goal you know to to be able to have that that kind of design flexibility um and if separate from all the really avant-garde stuff and like the the, the kind of super crazy um there's also the possibility to do more conventional frames as well and, and kind of hit different price levels and, and, and things like that. Mm -hmm. So I really, you know, my interest is in doing crazy stuff, obviously. Um, I really want to do like the super high end stuff and everything, but if there were an opportunity, I'm also really sensitive to like price points and things like that too. And I've, I've spent a lot of time riding with people that, you know, have the hand-me-down bike and stuff like that. Like there's always like the dude who's just starting to ride mountain bikes with the bros who ride mountain bikes and they give him like, you know, the, the, the hyper or whatever that, that is like the, 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 the bike that you have to start out on and everything. And that kind of value proposition, if I could find a way to bring that online as well, where you have this super high-end product, but then you also have a, like a, a really well thought out product but a much lower cost with the same suspension technology th- that I could see scaling. Yeah. What, what would need to change? What would need to change for this machined frame approach to be economically feasible? We're almost there. I, I, if, if we're probably, um, th- the, Ultimately, the the reductive process of CNC might not be what gets us there, but additive is changing so quickly that if honestly, if somebody said, "Here's two million dollars, Chris, knock yourself out, go go crazy," it would still be super challenging to invest in machinery because whatever you buy right now is obsolete by the time you plug it in. Um, it's changing that rapidly. And so I, I don't know. CNC will will always be a, a I think a viable option, and I think in terms of the sheer beauty of it, it just looks really fucking cool. And yeah. and there's a lot of people that are just like they really like that, and and they 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 want to that that's what they want to have, and they appreciate the, the the strength and kind of the construction methodology and stuff. But I. I think that that will always be challenging because it is a reductive process and you have this, this byproduct. And, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of frugality going on there where you, 
you don't just get to recycle uh, the aluminum. You, you're planning out what to do, you know, with the inner core of that. Like, what other pieces can you make out of some of these other pieces and stuff? So it isn't like you just completely discard, you know, everything. But ultimately, the materials are getting so good that that you will be able to rapidly create uh, through through additive processes and things like that um, as needed. And and really, yeah. you know, location is super important, but that'll democratize as you go because you won't really necessarily need to be shipping from from great distances and stuff if the capability of making the product is uh is is flexible <laughs> you know yeah. like you you de- you decide to move to portugal you can still create the same product you know at a different place than you know where you started off or you you decided to like the file is portable and if the supply chain continues to to be wildly uh fluctuating you still have some degree of stability in the storm because if you can achieve a manufacturing method that isn't super dependent on heavy heavy tooling costs, a lot of time prepping and building and building a process to assemble, I think ultimately people will be doing much more with that. And they will yeah. only be making what they need. And I think that's the real sustainable advantage in the future. It, it isn't necessarily you have this one technology that is so much better for the environment. It's it's not making a bunch of shit you don't need. Okay. Yeah. Your crystal ball has a pretty good track record. So I'm going <laughs> to go with you. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> we only talked about the things that, that it doesn't always work, but, but, yeah, uh, but yeah, I mean, what, I'm, what hasn't worked, Chris, before, uh, before we move on, what, what hasn't worked with this bike? Has there been something that you've had to like abandon or like completely shift direction on? You know, a lot of things have gone surprisingly well. Like it, 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 it did. You know, as I said, it worked the way I expected it to work. Now I could, I could take it out after I get done talking with you and snap it in half. I, you know, I that's that's part yeah. of you know what what I'm what I'm supposed to do. Um, but the you know when I started this project, uh, CNC would have been financially even viable. You know it wasn't ridiculously expensive, but right around the time I had to hit go on making the frames, I think aluminum was like at like sixty year highs or what. It was like the the worst possible time you could you could you could do this. And I so I've gotten that wrong a lot. Like my timing in terms of like you know. I really want to get into, you know, I got to go buy me some Bitcoin now, you know, and it's like yeah. dropped 90% or so, you know, like my timing on, on materials and stuff. I, I, I certainly didn't, didn't time that very, very effectively. Um, in, in terms of the uh, functionality and everything, it's a, a lot of his, there's a ton of preparation. You know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a real nerd that way. And I'm, I'm not real, I'm not, I'm not much of a risk taker. Like I, I, I try to know as much as I can. You sound like a risk taker. (laughs) Well, I mean, you can do these things, but I, smart one. I, well, I don't, I don't know about that, but I, I, I try to know as much as I can know before, you know, taking the going and, and then, so I, you know, the expectations you can always, you're always going to run into variables. And I, I used to say this, uh, with, uh, (laughs) would do do preparations and you know if you've been in the industry for a while you, you do do uh 
presentations and press releases and everything. I'm like, no, we got to be like locked and loaded, like all dialed and everything figured out like way far in advance because shit's always going to go sideways. It's just a matter of like, if you're that prepared, the shit that goes sideways is much more manageable because you're 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 at least at that point where it's it's pretty minimal shit that can go sideways and and i say that as this is a guy who's like had to give presentation to distributors in germany with like a laptop that nothing nobody could plug anything into so somebody hands me another laptop that's like all in german windows and i got like and there's already a crowd in the room you know what i mean and it's like you've been in situations like that or i show up at a trade show and somebody's built my booth facing the wrong way i'm like (laughs) huh You know, like when you kind of, when you've been through that, it's like, nah, you know what? Like something's always going to go wrong. So what you got to do is you got to like do all this so that the thing that goes wrong is even that's sort of within your control a little bit. Yeah. yeah, yeah, (laughs) So that's, I can't say that I, I, it's, it's been a hard fought process to get to that point. There's been a lot of, you know, you learn by touching the burner that it's hot. And so, yeah, there's been plenty went wrong. Chris, one thing I wanted to ask before you get out of here is we talked a bit about it earlier. The development process has been pretty public and you've been sharing all sorts of info on the internet with people. Now, I I also spent a lot of time on the internet and I I know that the internet can be really mean sometimes. (laughs) Um, Have you, have, have people been, you know, reaching out with anything like super critical? Has there been trolls or people saying like, this is not gonna work? Anything like that? And how have you handled it? For the most part, we're in the honeymoon phase. So there's a lot of people that are just taken by the look of it. It's it, it's a good looking frame. And then a lot of people are just commenting about uh, about how it looks. And, and that's, you know, there's, there's not a tremendous amount of data about it out there now uh, anyway. But I, I love that stuff. Like I see it as a collaborative effort anyway. So there's been some unique feedback. Um, you know, there, there was a comment that, that, that the edges look sharp and it could be dangerous. And it's like, no, we rounded it, you know, like we're, we're on probably it. probably going to sort that out. Yeah. Like we, we, you know, we, we got it. Like it's, it's, yeah. it's actually safe to ride and stuff. And, but, but I, you know, I love that. Like I, I welcome that, that because that's, you got to appreciate that the people aren't holding it. They, they don't have it there in front of them. They, they don't know. They want to ask these questions. And for the most part, um, yeah, you're always get, you're always going to have people that just you know want to spread a bad day or or whatever. But I've been really fortunate, and I always try to even even when it's somebody who might not necessarily have uh, feedback, they they just want to say something. I I appreciate it, and I always try to guide it towards something constructive because, uh, I, you know, I'm only one person. I've been riding bikes for a long time, but I, my experiences aren't nearly the same as everybody else's experiences. So there could be a really valuable piece of information that comes from somebody. And I'm open yeah. to that. You know, like, like I, I want to know if somebody says, well, you know, I, I don't agree with this or, you're, you know, you're, the bike's too long or the, the seat tube's too slack or too steep or whatever. Um, yeah. Let me know. Man. And, yeah. and I, you know, let's, let's talk. Yeah. Chris, it's interesting to hear you say that because earlier I brought up how you've, you've worn many different hats in this industry. And one of those hats has been customer service, dealing with people. I, I don't think I'm going to offend all the engineers when I say this, but definitely some of the engineers. <laughs> They're not good with the people sometimes. Uh, you know, or a lot of times like well, with these passion projects, it's, it's easy to feel uh, like people have it out for you or they're challenging you and that kind of thing. And I could see why 
you know, if I had my heart and soul pulled, poured into this, why well, I, I personally would respond like I've been threatened, you know, for, for some things, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but you know, you've had all those years of customer experience. You know how this works. You know you can't be an asshole. You know <laughs> you you can't you can't be an engineer online. You have to be you have to be nice and friendly to these people. That's that perspective. Well, it's 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 genuine. I I mean I yeah. I, I genuinely want to want to hear from people, and I, that partially that's just how I'm wired. Like if um if the feedback is uh constructive, even if it's critical, that that's useful. I mean, they're doing me a favor. You, you know what I mean? And, and it can be unconstructive and you can have, you know, the, the internet has really become just a, uh, you know, part of why I turned to bicycles as my salvation is, you know, it's a yep. crazy world out there right now. And the internet is a big part of why it's a crazy world out there. But partially that's just like, that is what you make it. And I'm coming across sounding like I'm well-adjusted. I'm not well-adjusted at all. You know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a mess. Uh, I'm a, I'm exhausted all the time. All I do is work on this bike. But uh, uh, emotionally, I, I'm cool with that. Like, if if, if you want to not like me for some reason, okay, mm-hmm. you know that 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 that's okay. But partially, it's um, I I believe in the project, and I think that a lot of when things go real sideways uh, happens when people don't honestly believe in the project, uh, themselves. And I'm a Mm -hmm. marketing guy, so far be it for me to shit on marketing guys. But a lot of it is like when you're, when you're just a marketing guy and you're not 360 degrees, like the whole shooting match, you know, the whole, the whole thing involved in the whole process, you get handed this stuff and you're like, okay, sell this, you know? And, and, Mm -hmm. and to, to some degree you, you, you're personally invested in it and, and everything, but you you don't necessarily understand it down to its bones and when it comes to something like this that i've been working on for so long and i'm i'm really into i i understand it you know down to its core and it's it's good like it it genuinely works and i believe in it and so i'm not like i know it really works somebody didn't just tell me it works like i i know it works and so when somebody says hey you know it doesn't work. Fuck you. I, I, I don't, I don't instantly go like, Oh my God, maybe it doesn't, you, you know, like, I'm like, Bantam, okay. Bantam. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, you know, okay. You know, and, 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 yeah. and I respect, I, I respect that opinion because, and, and I'm, I'm, fr- you know, it, it's interesting because maybe it, maybe it doesn't work for them. And, and then maybe there's something to be, to be learned from that. Um, but for the most part, like I tried to do something, um, I'm, I'm doing it. Uh, you know, the, the, the product is, is doing what I want it to do. Um, I want it to be better. I want that process. And, and, and that's the other thing. Like, I think you reach a point where there is no finish finish line, right? Like this is, this is where this is now, but a comment that might not make any sense to me right now might be truly prophetic that somebody's like, you know, no, no way, man. The seat tubes need 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 to be back to, to to seventy degrees. Like, what are you doing? You know, whatever. And I might be like, no, nah, that's 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 not where it's at. Like, you just see this thing climb, but then it'd be like, you know, who knows? Maybe two years from now, I'll be like that guy, that that, that yeah, whatever. Troll monster yeah. fourteen eighty nine was like <laughs> nailed it. <laughs> Never should have banned that guy. Yeah. <laughs> so no, I mean it's it's uh. it's a it's a collaborative thing whether you want it to be or not. So the easiest thing is just don't resist, like, let it be a collaborative yeah. thing. Like everybody's involved in it. 
if you have a product that you intend to put on the market or even intend just to share with everybody. You know, this thing isn't on the market right. yet. I'd like to get it on the market. If it, if it, if it passes all my tests, it'll be on the market. But uh, even when you, sh- anything you share, it's, it, it's a, it's a collaborative process. You, you, the point of sharing it is that you, you want that feedback. Yeah, exactly. So on the website, on Ministry Cycles website, it says that this bike is Project One. Yes. Uh, is Project Two a 120 millimeter travel 29er for Mike <laughs> Levy? I could send prob- it to me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny because I, I'm running on a time lapse where I've been riding around on a 130 millimeter travel bike. I'm like, man, if I had a hundred, like at least 150 millimeter travel bike, like that would be the shit. Yeah. Cause partially I'm riding whatever I'm working on at the time and everything. And I'm a very monogamous bike dude. So I'm like, you know, riding the hell out of, out, out of my Jameis when I was work, developing the Jameis stuff and working on that. And I got the 150 and it's like, it's, you know, I'm obviously madly in love with this thing and everything, but then instantly you're like, oh, I could do variations of this. That would be, that would be super cool. So right? I, 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 it's, it's all energies directed at, at this right now, but the platform, you know, to, to go back to what I said, the flexibility is there. So doing a variation of this, that's a travel adjustment, you know, everything from, from uh, much shorter travel to full on downhill mobile is a much shorter leap than it would be if I had, you know, tooling set up and all these other investments and I'm, you know, you're, you're 65, $75,000 committed to just this one thing that you can't change just for the tooling, not even the cost of making any of, of the products. Yeah. So, you know, this is a type of thing where you can make 25 of them and people are like, man, that would be really cool in a 120 millimeter travel. You'd be like, okay. <laughs> so that, that's really what that's really what the kind of digital manufacturing and, and, and the future of, of of that is all about, and that's why the collaboration thing is so important. Because if you are getting feedback from people like that, I, I'm also not defensive of this from a no man, you don't understand. Not only did I pour my heart and soul into this, but I got to get you to buy five hundred thousand of these things, you know, because uh, because or, or the factory owns me. Like if somebody's like, man, 150's over, you know, do, do, you need to be doing 130 millimeter travel bikes or whatever. I, I am not as offended by that because I, that doesn't done, crush bro. me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so, you know, that, that, that design flexibility is, is part of it. And anybody's been in the industry, right? Like you've, you've seen that where it's like you work and work and work and you're designing something and just, you're about to release it. It's like, oh shit. You know, and a lot of times it happens on pink bike where you're like, you're like oh, I got man. this all down. Yeah. I got this all down. It's like, oh, what the fuck? Did a 80 degree head tube angle. Hey, fuck I you, buddy. I was just going to say some so-and-so's carbon frame. They've been working on it forever, but they decided their head angle too soon. <laughs> yeah. And it yeah. comes out and it's like two degrees too steep. And I'm like, you ain't ever going to sell that. <laughs> there would be a great podcast to probably get some, some, some different people involved or something where – you do like from the other side of the, of the one way mirror or whatever it is, where yeah. it's like, you, you see like, like the stuff that's going on because some of the stuff, it was really funny during the pandemic to, cause everybody came out with their special editions. It's like, yeah, yeah dude, your special edition is like whatever you could manage to find. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it's like front, front, front break is a Magura. 
and it's like rear brake is a ham sandwich, you know, and I was like, okay. It's a reverse mullet. Yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And it's like, you know, uh, and, and some companies were just like, man, times are tough, you know, and, and, and that, yeah, was, that was appreciated. Yeah. And other companies were like, no, this is, this is, this is limited edition, man. It's like, yeah, it's, it's super limited. <laughs> um, so uh, hopefully it's bought in very limited numbers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah, cr- exactly. crazy times. So, you know, that, that's, that's part of it too, is I think the future of manufacturing is figuring out how to, uh, how to minimize the, uh, the potential disruptions. Yeah. Yeah. They're going to keep coming into how you're doing it, Chris. So trying. Yeah, trying. exactly. Well, Chris, I'm sure you've got plenty of things to do. So I'm going to let you get out of here. Thank you for your time today. Anybody who wants to know more about Ministry Cycles, you can check out their website or the first look article that I was supposed to have done days ago, but I'm just starting (laughs) now. Chris, I'm going to send you a whole bunch more questions and maybe you could send me some photos. And then everybody who's listened to this podcast, they can check out the first look look article. It's going to go up uh, shortly after this podcast airs. Chris, thanks for your time, man. Thanks very much for having me, Mike. We're going to stay in touch because I'm going to want that 29er. So you're going to get too many emails from me. I'll be trolling your Instagram account. How many accounts can you create? (laughs) It's unanimous, man. Everybody wants that. All these levy people.